Hi everyone, welcome back to But What Will People Say? I'm your host, Disha Mystery Mazeppa, and this is our first monthly bonus episode that is coming in after our March Women's Wellness Collection, where the whole month we spent focusing, talking about topics related to South Asian women's wellness um, that our culture doesn't talk about, that we're not really raised being educated on, things like skin of color and mental health, etc. So if you're interested in that, check out our episodes from March. But since we got such good feedback from all of that and so many people requesting other topics be covered, once a month we're going to put out a bonus episode where we talk about different topics. Um, so this month our topic is pelvic physical therapy. So for all of you moms and moms-to-be or anyone suffering with things like incontinence or pelvic pain, this is the episode for you. Or if you're just here to be educated because I love learning new things and I love when my guests can teach me new things too. Before we get started, my disclaimer, as always, this episode is for educational purposes only um, and all of these um, thoughts and ideas being conveyed are opinions of our own. They are not medical recommendations or advice. If this is a true medical emergency, please call 911 or visit the emergency room. So now that that's out of the way, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, all other major streaming platforms. And if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, you can email bwwpspodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at Dishes by Dishes. This week's guest is Preet again because it's Preet Week. She is also a pelvic physical therapist, also just a general physical therapist. Pelvic PT is kind of a little category of that falls into their domain of practice, I guess you could say. Um, but she's here to educate us on all things pelvic PT. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. We're here with Preet again. You guys have met her before on another episode. Um, but other things you didn't know about her is she is a physical therapist and she's here to educate us on pelvic physical therapy. Hi, Preet. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Um, so tell us what is pelvic physical therapy? Or you could start with what physical therapy is for the more general crowd. Yeah. For sure, for sure. So um, I'm really excited I get to talk about this because this is not something I think there's a lot of good information on. Um, sometimes it's really hard to Google and sometimes there's a lack of resources. So um, just generally, I treat orthopedic and I treat pelvic PT. So what that means is if you've had a surgery or you've tweaked your knee or your shoulder's not working right or whatever, I see everybody from pretty much the age of my youngest patients have been eight or nine years old all the way up until... I think my oldest patient has been like 99. So we see patients um, from a lot of diverse backgrounds, but most of what I treat during the week orthopedically tends to be um, basically rotator cuffs. It can be parts of the shoulder. It can be your low back. It can be for your neck. A lot of folks who have high stress uh, personality, sometimes they get a lot of jaw dysfunction. So I treat that. And then half of my week is treating pelvic physical therapy, which can be anything internal or external to the floor. And I think there's a big mix, uh, misconception that that pelvic PT is only for women. It also is for men. So it could be men or women, internal or external. It could be for pain. It could be for constipation. It can be for fecal incontinence. It could be for a variety of things. Um, some 
even if uh, folks have had surgery or something like that, that can be a contributing factor to why they come see me. Awesome. So to get super basic, for those of us who don't know, where are your pelvic muscles? What are we talking about exactly? (laughs) They're all over the place. Um, So the best way I can describe it, um, pelvic floor muscles, they're not just internal in the vaginal or uh, what we would call the pelvic cavity. They can also extend further up into the abdominal area, and they also function really well with your support in your belly and your low back. Uh, most people, when they talk about pelvic floor muscles, they're thinking like, oh, I just need to do Kegels and people start doing Kegels and they're really just theoretically doing butt squeezes and not Kegels. So I think a lot of people consider when they're doing these exercises and they're doing pelvic floor exercises, you're really never really working your pelvic floor unless somebody's kind of helped you isolate that. Uh, for men, the best way I can describe it is I'm like, and you know, if there's a part of our audience that's under a certain age and you need to cover your kids ears, feel free. But if you were trying to get the penile head to move and you're going to get the penis to move up and down, guys can do that with their pelvic floor muscles internally. It's not because they're squeezing their butt cheeks or holding their breath. It's because they're using their muscles on the inside of their pelvic floor to lift that. So for women, that tends to be like if you're going to go to the bathroom and you're trying to really hold it. Um, sometimes you see with children, they'll cross their knees and like hold their legs really tight. That's your inner thigh muscles you're using. But when you're trying to physically hold back and you're sitting on the toilet, that is you using your pelvic floor muscles to be able to stop the flow of urine coming out. So, um, definitely way more internal than I think a lot of us think. So now that we know where those muscles are, what kind of problems can a pelvic PT help us out with? So I would say, I'll just kind of tell you based off of my caseload that what I frequently see, it can be prenatal or postnatal. So most of the women that I see, they come in um, while they're pregnant and they've got this pain, um, maybe like in the lower pubic area, which is usually um, way underneath your abdominal area. And sometimes as your belly is growing and as your baby is growing, you start to get pain because you're carrying a lot of pressure there. Uh, We talk about even doing stretches for the legs, how to offload weight off of the belly so it doesn't hurt as bad. Uh, Typically after pregnancy and after you've had delivery, I see women that come in with problems with leakage when they go from like sit to stand, coughing, sneezing, laughing, picking up the stroller, putting it in the backseat of the trunk, or maybe they're just trying to get back to exercising and it's really too soon and they haven't had enough help. I see women that come in with the biggest thing is pain with intercourse. That makes up probably at least 50% of my caseload. And that can be women that haven't even had a baby. That could be women that I see that are fairly young, like 18 or 19 years old, and they this is their first time having intercourse, and they're not able to because it's just so miserably painful because some of those muscles stay very, very tight. Um, a lot of women, I think, also just consider that when they have their menstrual cycles, that I just don't like to use a tampon because it hurts, it's uncomfortable, and that doesn't register as like, that's a problem. It just registers as like, this is my preference to use a pad over a tampon. So sometimes when women have problems putting in tampons, they also have problems having their medical exams done, their gynecological exams. And in that exam, they'll use tools to be able to better visualize the cervix and stuff. And when they have those tools inserted, it is not only just uncomfortable, like the normal uncomfortable, it is sharp. It is painful. It, some women like jump off of the table and they think that's supposed to be their normal. So sometimes 
we've missed that window of opportunity to be able to treat people because they've considered inserting a tampon is painful. Having my medical exam is painful. That is supposed to be normal. And then they get to that point of they're trying to have intercourse, maybe their first time, or maybe it can develop over time as well. If you're very, very stressful and anxious, and sometimes we hold our muscles in certain patterns that can cause a lot of discomfort for women. And then they develop these painful patterns and don't realize that it's not just the intercourse that's bothering them. It's a lot of other things too. Awesome. So how do you know if you need to see a pelvic PT? How do we find out that's where we should go? So it's really important to have a really good dialogue with primarily, I tell everybody, your primary care physician. If you feel like you are not heard or you can't explain to them what your pain is, your OBGYN is also a very great resource. Now, if all of the above happens and say, for instance, you're, you know, like you're abnormally peeing way too often. When I say often, it's like you can't hold it for 30 minutes. It's not like you feel like you drink a bottle of water and you're like, I have to go, but you are literally physically leaking. That is not supposed to be healthy. Um, it's also not healthy to be able to hold your urine for like eight to 10 hours, like some of us medical professionals tend to do, teachers tend to do, nurses will often do. So it's not healthy to do that. And then all of a sudden wonder why you're having bladder pain. Um, It is not normal to urinate with pain. It is not normal to have intercourse with pain. It is not normal to have bowel movements with pain. It should not be normal for you to sit and then feel a lot of pain after two hours because sometimes that means your tailbone may be actually misaligned or you have a lot of tension sitting right around your tailbone. So those kind of things, you should not be having pain or leakage in that area without a reasonable cause. Like, I don't know, like you definitely drank like three bottles of Gatorade maybe two hours ago (laughs) or something like that. Awesome. Yeah. So I also work in the world of PTs because I'm an OT and there's always random information we like to pass along with each other. And one thing I heard was when you go to the bathroom, if you're not peeing for eight seconds, at least, then you either didn't have to go to the bathroom or you're not able to hold it long enough. Is that true? No. Okay. So I won't say that that's not true, but what I tell people is that everybody's bladder size is different. So you can't always gauge it based off of seconds necessarily. But yeah, if you're paying less than eight seconds, your bladder is probably the size of a pea, which is probably not healthy. But I tell people like it, it all comes down to how much water you're drinking and how often you're drinking it. So it is normal for an average person to be able to hold for two hours. You should not be holding more than two hours. You should be going to urinate about every two hours. But say, for instance, like there's some of us like myself who are like, oh, my God, like I drink more water. And all of a sudden you start drinking. You're like, holy crap. I feel like I'm running the bathroom all the time. That is because your bladder is like a muscle like anything else. It will learn how to stretch when you force it to stretch. That does not mean you need to drink a gallon and hold it. So when you think about your water intake, try to think about your body weight. Divide it by two. That's how many ounces of water you need to shoot for. So because of quarantine, I'm a little heavier than I'd like, but we're for sake of example, we're gonna talk about me. So I'm closer to 160 right now. So that puts me divide by two, 80 ounces of water I need to shoot for. Um, you can shoot for more than that for sure. But I tell people like 80 ounces is kind of tough for a lot of people to get in anyway. So you just start with what your body weight is appropriate and then spread it out throughout your day. Just make sure you're not drinking two hours before bed because then you're gonna be running around at night. 
And it is normal for you to be getting up one time at night. If it's anything more than that, we qualify that as a functional problem. And that's something we try to work on with patients to make sure that most of their water intake is during the day, cut off two hours before bed. Then we get into the discussion of bladder irritants and stuff. So it's not wrong that if you're counting how many seconds, but I would say definitely try to see if you can hold it for two hours at a time and try to spread out your water intake a little bit better throughout the day. Cool. So this, I guess, then leads into another question I have is, is there a difference between how long men and women can hold it? Because I feel like guys go to the bathroom every 30 minutes. Like you can't go from like point A to point B without like guys being like, I have to go to the bathroom. I have to pee. And I'm like, we, we just left. Like where, what do you mean? Yep. I would say it probably comes down to bladder retraining because if you're, if you are physically used to going whenever you feel like it. And that's sometimes we talk about urge suppression techniques in the clinic too. If you are going every 30 minutes, you got to work on your pelvic floor strength a little bit. Um, And then part of it is also like, what are you drinking? If you had like iced tea, soda, or maybe you ate spicy food, some people's bladders are very, very irritable to that. So that will make your bladder kind of spasm, make you feel like you need to go a lot. So there's theoretically should not be a difference between guys and girls. It's the same bladder maybe a difference in size, but I would say it may come back down to diet. Cause I will tell you, unless I push my husband, he's not drinking his water, which means his bladder is probably just like, well, I can only take like a half a cup before I feel like I need to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> what would be considered a bladder irritant? I know you said like spicy food and like mm-hmm. soda. What else can irritate your bladder? There's so many things. So the general rule of thumb is anything spicy, anything that's a high acidic content or high caffeine content. So um, I will say it's not the same for every person. So when I have people that come in with something called interstitial cystitis, which is irritation of the bladder, and it's very, very painful for those folks, like I have some people that will come in, they can have their red wine, but when they take their vitamin C supplement, their bladder's all over the place. And then I have others that come in, they take their vitamin C, they're fine, and the glass of wine sets them off. So like examples of foods can be anything from pineapples, oranges, uh, wine, sodas, lemons, um, I believe strawberries are on that list, um, cocoa beans, uh, it could be even like tomato sauce, any of those kind of items. And I'm sure I, I would say my conversation tends to be a little bit different because I'm not a nutritionist. My scope of practice is mostly just to give you an idea of what you should do and then tell you to go see somebody if you're really bad about eating, which I have done in the past. But I tell folks before you go like hard and like start saying, okay, I'm going to go cold turkey on these items on this list that you gave me. I tell people, I'm like, think about your water intake. If all you're drinking is Mountain Dew all day, if you just slowly start to replace it with water, see if that calms your bladder down, you know, before you start giving up things. Can coffee do the same thing? Yes, ma'am. Coffee. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. And you know, that's the other piece. Coffee is sneaky. Decaf, people are like, oh, I just drink decaf coffee. I'm like, yeah, but that still can be up to 15% caffeine. So you just have to make sure that your coffee that's decaf sure have that cup. But your one cup of decaf is... There are very few people I've come across that that is that is the crux of their problem. Usually there's other stuff going on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's interesting. Now I'm going to like sit there and think about all the things I eat and how often I go to the I bathroom. Know. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> I, know. I chug like water constantly. I mean, right mm-hmm. now we're working from home, but because we're, I mean, I guess even at the clinic, I chug water 
And now that I'm just sitting at the table mm-hmm. at a computer, I just have a giant jug of water and I just sit there and like watch my kids play. It's like not like I'm going to get up and help them. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I'm just sitting there like sipping out of my straw the whole yeah. time. Yeah. And like halfway through a 45 minute session, I'm like, I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I know. I know. And that's the other piece of it. When we're used to being in a seated position, you know, sometimes you don't realize it until your bladder's full. If you're running around, sometimes that can create a different pressure feeling too. So also when you're sitting at home, I think it's so hard because you're like, at work, you have a routine. At home, it's kind of hard to find that routine. So sometimes you overdo it and you're like, oh my God, I got to go right now. (laughs) Kind of a random question that we got was, is pelvic PT covered by insurance, is it different than just like physical therapy? So what theoretically should be happening, and I can only speak to the state of North Carolina, but I'm, I'm, if I'm wrong about things, I'll let you know, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Um, what happens is your front desk or my front desk staff will call your insurance company and ask them when they ask for PT, they're asking for PT, which is orthopedic pelvic. It could be anything. Um, so theoretically it should be just physical therapy they're asking for. And you can always, I would encourage everybody, be your own advocate, call your insurance and be like, I'm getting pelvic physical therapy. It qualifies as PT. How does this work? Because there's really not another code for it. Um, most places will cover physical therapy with a certain amount of visits. The problem we run into with pelvic PT is there's some some insurances that only do 12 visits and some of them that will do 35 and some of the physical therapy diagnoses I see they're chronic pain related so those cases tend to take a lot longer also with pelvic pain we only see patients once a week so most of those patients you know think about 52 weeks in a year that's 52 visits and there's some patients that I've seen for ongoing for two or three years because they have endometriosis. They have, you know, a lot of scarring in that tissue in the ovaries. And then on top of that, they have dysfunction when pain, when they have intercourse. And then also with urinating, there's a lot of stuff that can go into it. So some of these patients you may be seeing ongoing for some time. So it just depends on what you have and what you need. But if you have a good PT in your corner and you're authorized for a certain amount of visits, I tell folks, I'm willing to work on people like I'll see you for like maybe once every other week instead of every single week and see if we can stretch those visits out. Uh, But yeah, most places do cover physical therapy anyway. So pelvic PT should be no different. Cool. And where can we, I guess, like, how do you know a PT is specifically a pelvic PT or are all PTs able to do it? So this is a fun question. I feel like every physical therapist that graduates from PT school should have the scope to do it because it is a part of your body. It is not an imaginary like X zone that like you can't treat. However, it does take a lot of extra training. So as far as screening goes to know the symptoms, I think everybody that's a physical therapist should know, okay, this is not quite right. And this is more orthopedic versus pelvic. And this patient requires a little bit more treatment. Now, to know who to go to, that's a slightly different question because, yeah, that involves a lot of extra training. Uh, it requires certifications. And depending on, you know, what company your physical therapist is working for, they may allow like mine where you can take one course and then you sit under another physical therapist and you get training with them and you can still start treating. So I have had five years of courses under my belt. So taking one a year kind of thing. But the best website to go to is if you go to hermanandwallace.com, that is our, that's the continuing education 
uh, company that I go through, but they have a find a practitioner button on there. And you can go, I believe, on the APTA's website as well and type in women's health. And you can probably find a practitioner on there as well. The great thing about Herman and Wallace is you just put your zip code in and you can find folks who have taken courses through that company, which is specifically only for pelvic. Um, You could find folks who do pediatric pelvic who typically treat more men's health, who have taken courses for, you know, more incontinence-related stuff. So there's a whole variety there, but that's probably my best resource to give people. Awesome. Resources mm-hmm. are always helpful because I feel yeah. like you find out about these things, but then you don't know. Yeah, or you go on WebMD. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> it is so many things, WebMD. <laughs> sort of a random question coming from me because we're talking about this. Runners. Yes. They usually, just because I only know this because my husband does ultra marathons, so we end up around it, a lot of runners. And one thing that occasionally comes up is kind of like pelvic pain when you're running, because like, mm-hmm. I guess your organs are bouncing on top of each other for hours on end. Mm-hmm. Can they benefit from pelvic PT or is it oh, yeah. more of a regular PT thing? Yeah. So I would say this, it depends on where their pain is coming from. So The best way I can describe it, it's kind of a bigger discussion that goes back to when a patient walks in, doesn't matter if it's pelvic or orthopedic, what are they coming in for? Because insurance companies could care less about your pain. They want to know what you can't do. So the things that they pay for are like, you know, okay, I can't bend to like pick up my shoes and put my shoes on or, you know, marathon running gets into a different category because it's not an activity of daily living. Like the best way I can make a goal out of that is I'm like, okay, well, can you run out of a burning building if you needed to run out of the burning building? And nine times out of 10, they're like, okay, well, I can do that. But that's where it becomes like a cash-based problem because insurance is not going to cover that. So that's when you go to a cash-based therapist and they can help you with that. But coming down to the nitty gritty of how to help people with that, yeah, definitely core strengthening, pelvic floor strengthening, but it depends on what kind of pain they're having. Are they having pain with intercourse? And that's why they're coming to see me. That's a pelvic patient. Are they coming in for just pain like on the random like outside of like where they would maybe have a hernia? Maybe that's more orthopedic. So it depends on where their pain is placed and the functional problems they have with it. And then when we dive into the functional goals, there because there's been patients that are like, well, I can do everything. I just can't marathon run. I'm like, well, I my practice only takes insurance, so I can't treat you unless it's cash based. So that's when we get into that discussion of like, how are we going to get this reimbursed? And if there anything else, like, is it, you know, when you go into a deep squat to pick up a case of water at the at Walmart, and that's when it bothers you. Okay, if that's painful, let's try to fix that. And that may inadvertently fix your pain when you're running. Yeah, I feel like in the medical world, like rehab world, it's just like a fun game of how do we get this reimbursed? Right. I work in the same world and I totally get that puzzle piece. Like, okay, well, you have 25 visits. You probably need to come for six months. How do we space this out? Yeah. But how do we also make sure you're doing this at home? Yes. Yeah. I wish I'd. You know, I'll never be able to speak to what doctors do, like medical doctors do in their office, you know, but I'm like, am I the only one that's running around calling this doctor, this nurse and be like, how do we get them in here any longer? Yeah. And like every state's rules are different. Because in New Jersey, you can go to OT and PT is considered like, you know, most insurances will cover it. But in New Jersey, you don't need a doctor's reference anymore to go. You can just go to a PT's office and say, I need PT or I want to get an eval and they can do it now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome because most most general practitioners, I find, don't 
you know, when at least you've probably experienced this, you get a prescription, all it says is eval and treat. Yeah. They, they don't, time. they're referring, <laughs> but they don't actually like give you any insight as to what's, what's wrong because they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what the sad part is, is like when people, like we have direct access here in North Carolina too. And I think it comes down to your comfort level of your therapist too, because the whole point is if you're going to stroke out or you're going to have like a cardiovascular event, like somebody needs to be able to recognize those signs, you know? So my thing is competence is important, but the only reason I require one for my pelvic patients is I'm like, if you, if you have some weird pelvic thing going on or like, you know, some kind of pain that nobody else has evaluated or you need some diagnostic work, I need you to have a fallback to somebody who can do that for you. We do not need to be like, oh, you come in for me. And then like, I can't see you for two months. And then I had to discharge your chart. And now you're starting the process all over again because you had to go get an ultrasound. So like it really, I think for the more chronic and involved folks, it's super helpful. But for the folks that are like, oh, my knee hurts or my wrist Mm -hmm. hurts, you know, like I think it's super helpful. So another category like we've talked about is pregnancy and uh, pelvic PT. Are there specific exercises pregnant women can do to strengthen their pelvic floor or is it very much a case by case basis? So I always tell folks, um, my biggest issue is giving people exercises to do without doing an eval because they're like, there's a because there's a big reason when people come in and they're pregnant and they're like, okay, well, like what exercises can I do? I'm like, well, this is not the time to start something new. We are not going to join CrossFit and we are not going to be doing inversions. <laughs> so, so I think part of that is also the education piece. Cause I think there's so many moms out there, new moms and repeat moms. I think everybody's just trying to do the best they can. And sometimes we'll overdo it without meaning to. So that educational piece, like this is okay. This is not okay. Really important. Um, before you get pregnant, yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can do. Make sure your core is strong. Make sure you have good control of not like, don't, I'm not saying people need to go get a six pack, but like people need to have good awareness of how to do diaphragmatic breathing, how to tighten their belly button muscles down to their spine when they do like a sit up. Um, I really personally am not a big fan of crunches for a variety of reasons postpartum because a lot of people are do or they do them wrong and they come back in. They're like, oh, my God, like I feel this pressure between my legs and like my belly's popping. I'm like, oh, God, like you, have, you probably have prolapse. <laughs> but again, I think part of it is like pre-pregnancy, do everything you can to stay healthy, you know, working out a couple of times a week. And, you know, there's programs out there. Um, there's somebody called uh, Dr. DeMary. She does a lot of talks about trimester zero. I think she's awesome. You can follow, find her on Instagram. Um, there's a lot of programs out there that you can do to get yourself strong and healthy prior to having a pregnancy episode. Once you're pregnant, you need to make sure you keep up your level of activity in the safest way you can. And that's a discussion that has to happen between you and your doctor. Cause I could be talking to one woman who's healthy, never had any issues, you know, and I have some one person who's at endometriosis or maybe she's a high risk pregnancy and maybe she's not the person who needs to be like, jogging during her pregnancy, mm-hmm. even though maybe that's what she was doing before. So it really just depends person to person. Once you're pregnant, I think the biggest thing is keep up your activity level in a safe place that you can, you know, cardiovascularly, and then also make sure you stretch, make sure you are comfortable as you're stretching. None of these stretches should be painful. If you're holding your breath, you're making a face, you are going way too far. Um, making sure that your hips are stretched out, your legs are stretched out, because now as you're carrying more weight, your hamstrings are really super tense. Your low back is going to ache. 
Um, and then also like wearing those belts are super comfortable for a lot of people to offload weight off of their belly. And so that way their posture doesn't start to change so much drastically. Those are really helpful things. And then I tell people no matter what, during your pregnancy, if nothing else, make a point of finding a pelvic PT that you are going to see regardless and have that set up for you by the time you deliver. Because most women, unless they're miserable, don't come in and see me before they are pregnant or before they deliver because deductibles, you know? So they're like, okay, well, once I have the deductible and I've had the baby, like I can come see you and that is no problem and everything. So sometimes financially that can be difficult, but six weeks out, like come and see me no matter what, because if there are some fine minute details we need to work on in your belly for the diastasis, which is a separation that can happen in your belly, or maybe you were pushing forever and you had a really long delivery and now you have a prolapse, you know, we can work on some of those things and then get those better as much as we can. And then we talk about, okay, what other options? Because I don't want you going to surgery. You probably don't want to go to surgery. Your doctor probably doesn't want to take your surgery. But if there is something that we can help with that pulls things back enough, and then we use a pessary, and now your 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 uterus is sitting in a happy place, your bladder sitting in a happier place, then that maybe makes all the difference. And now you can run again without leakage. So it just varies from person to person and the goals that they're going to have. Yeah, I think with the pregnancy questions, it's tough because that is so individualized. And yeah everyone is so different because let's be honest I have watched women run marathons who are pregnant you know I'm waiting at the finish line for Michael and there's like pregnant mom coming in hot yeah. and I'm like girl yeah. congratulations okay right. yeah. you are a superwoman but that by no means puts down the women who are not running marathons because I yeah. will never run one pregnant or not yeah no desire Same. yeah but like yep. even if you want to and you can't it's okay yeah and it, I you have so much pressure on women to like do it all, yes. even when they're pregnant. Yeah. And it's, it's, a yeah. Lot. And, and it comes from a good place for women themselves. Sometimes they're like, okay, I'm growing another person. I want to be healthy. Let me keep going or let me do something. You're like, no, no, no. Like today's not the day we start doing couch to 5K. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like these women have already been running marathons. Like right. they're already in a shape where like 10 miles is your warm up today. Like we get it. You know, or in my yoga class, there's always like the pregnant moms and like, mm -hmm. you know, you're kind of watching the clock. You're like, oh, it's been like seven or eight months. Like you should be popping yeah. soon. But yeah. here you are in down dog, ma'am. Yeah. 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 But like they're doing it and it's it's awesome to see what you can do. But again, yeah. it comes back to like they've been coming to this yoga class right. for three yeah. years. Like, yeah, it's it's, fine. it's all about your prior level of function, because if you can do that, like and that's the thing, it's not like you started a new program three months before you got pregnant. I tell people like if it hasn't been a year of you doing all this, just just tone it down to where we can work on things together, keep you healthy. And then we take you back to where you were, you know. Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> I think those are all my questions. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us about? I would. So I think and this is, this is, I love this because I usually can't do this at work. This is where I'm going to get my soapbox a little bit. So I think the biggest issue that I see that has been coming along since at least my mother's time, when women have C-scar or C-scars, C-section scars, there is so much that will adhere down in that area. And I think a lot of people... A, there's pressure to just look like your quote unquote normal self before pregnancy. 
There's also a, you know, there's a body dysmorphia associated with having a baby too. Cause in your head, you looked one way. And then for a short period of time, you looked a very different way. Now you delivered this baby. Now you look a whole different kind of way, you know? So I think addressing the piece about scar mobilization is super important. People don't tell you when you've been cut open, even after a total knee surgery, hey, you need to go home and move that scar. There's like, no, 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 just bend your knee and just straighten your knee and then try to walk and, you know, go to PT. Same thing with a C-section. You know, you have the baby, you go home, you heal. Your doctor says, hey, six weeks, you look good. Keep going, you know? And so nobody talks to you about that can adhere down to your belly area. That can adhere down to your lower abdominal area. That can make it really tough for you to have a bowel movement. It can cause you pain when you have intercourse. It can cause a whole slew of problems. Just by teaching moms that, A, if you come in at six weeks, I'll give you all this. You don't have to remember. But just by teaching people how to move that tissue and that skin, it sounds so silly. But I'm like, if you move that tissue and skin every single day in the patterns that we show you, I'm sure the nurses in the in the labor and delivery units can probably tell you exactly what I'm talking about, too. You can ask them before you leave. You will find it to be a lot easier when you are trying to do strength training. You are going to find that to be a lot less painful when you are sitting for long periods of time, when you're wearing your jeans and your jeans are sitting tight on you and they're supposed to be your mommy jeans that are way looser. They're going to be uncomfortable. So sometimes I have people that come in with like pain with wearing underwear because that underwear band will just sit in that area and rub. So I think that piece about scars and it can be from a surgery. It doesn't have to be related to pregnancy. It can be related to, okay, well I had a prolapse and I had surgery and I still have pain. You can have scar tissue built up internally. So -hmm. when people come in, we do an external exam on your skin. We do an exam also of your muscles, but I do an internal exam as well. So basically I have you lay down, I step out of the room, you change from the waist down. When I come back, I'm not using any tools. I just use my one finger and I've got really long, skinny piano fingers. So they're not like chubby and fat. So when I do the exam, all I'm doing is vaginally, I'm checking the tissue. Does that hurt? And if I find hurt, I'm not pushing past that. We're going to work on that first and see if we can ease up some tension in that area. Because I mean, think about it when you hurt, you shrimp up, you know, you kind of curl in and if things have adhered down in that area and then you're curling in more, it's not going to uncurl itself, you know? So So I think it's really important to tell people, you know, not to be scared of their internal exams because it gives you a lot of good information about, yeah, you have a C-section scar, but maybe you're having pain with intercourse because that hurts you so much that now you're tightening up your butt cheeks and you're tightening up your pelvic floor and you sit like this for eight hours at your really stressful job. And then there's two hours of traffic when you come home before, you know, you're like, I just hurt so bad, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think it gives us a lot of good information, but it's, it's always such a very terrifying conversation when somebody comes in and they're like, I really don't know why I'm here. My doctor sent me here. What am I here for? (laughs) Yeah. And that's definitely something to keep in mind is because even with hands and stuff like scar tissue is it's moldable, like you can change it and you can move it and you can make it more functional and position it if you do it the right way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you have to do it and, you know, go see the people who can help you with that. Yep. Yep. I had a question that I forgot. Something. Oh, the six week question. When you say come see you six weeks out, six weeks, like I'm now six weeks pregnant or I'm six weeks before delivery, six weeks after delivering. So, yeah, there's very few instances I have. So the women that I work with that treat pelvic, there's been a few of them that have been given the okay by the doctor of the patient that's coming in to do internal work. So we don't do internal work usually when somebody is pregnant anyway, but there are things externally we can do for you. You know, if your back is hurting, your legs are hurting and whatnot, but 
what I'm talking about when people come in and see me and if they know preemptively, like when I do these talks with like new mom groups, I'm like, you have the baby. Six weeks afterwards, you're going to go to your OBGYN. They'll say, hey, you're doing good. You look fine. Unless something is very weird. That that point, you need to come see me. Regardless of what like you think or you're like, oh, I'll get to it. Because, you know, quite honestly, let's be honest. You have a baby. You have a whole other person to take care of. And if you're, if you're lucky and your baby is like not super colicky and, you know, and that there's not other things going on, maybe you could get in for an appointment. But most people are like, oh, I just need to like, you know, it's tunnel vision. I need to take care of this baby. I don't know if I can go. I tell people before the baby gets here, like a month before your due date, call your doctor's office, your OBGYN and say, hey, there's this PT I've been wanting to see. I Googled them. I found them. Or, you know, do your own research. I want to make an appointment. Can I make an appointment? Let them make that appointment like two months out. And then when they come in, it'll probably be six weeks after they deliver. They get in, they see you, and then you can cover a lot of different bases. And I tell people, the people that come in and they see me, I might treat them maybe three or four visits. And then I don't see them again because they were doing well, you know, and we try to make it that it's like once a month they're coming. If you're like, no, I've got four kids at home. This is baby number five. I'm like, okay, we'll just space it out. But for people that come in maybe six to six months onwards after having a baby, it's very difficult for them to find a place of, of, I would say, I even tell people bring in their babies because I'm like, I don't want there to be any barrier, but there's a lot of barriers at that point because then they're like, okay, I have to find childcare and have to do this. But if you go in with the mindset, I need to see somebody and I may need to see them once a week, it's a lot easier to plan around versus when that little person gets here because that that is a whole nother responsibility. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For those who maybe are not pregnant, but are looking to get pregnant, are there things they can do beforehand, before they're pregnant and all that? to strengthen their pelvic muscles and their core. And how do you know that you're strong enough? Because every time somebody I know goes to the PT, they're like, they said I had a weak core. I'm like, everyone has a weak core. If you ask them enough times, everyone has a weak core. Yeah. It's like seeing your OT and they tell you you have weak hands. Yes. Like everybody does. Yes. Yes. So I think it depends. Like think about um, when you're an OT, like you're doing manual muscle testing for people, right? So for folks who are not medical background, like manual muscle testing means like, we're just going to see how strong one isolated muscle is. And usually when you use that muscle, there's a couple others that'll kick in. So when I do my exam, I will say most of the women that are childbearing age, they're never like, like weak. I'm like, you're not, you didn't roll it in a wheelchair. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's strength there, but like, I would say you could probably be a little bit stronger. So we work on planks, we work on all kinds of stuff, but that's after we do the exam. So during the exam, I test your core. There's certain positions I put you in. And then I test your hip strength, which is just as important as your core. I feel like people think about like, why do you make sure my pelvic floor is strong and my core? I'm like, but your hips are like right in between that. So we'll work on hip strength. And then when we do the internal exam for pelvic floor, I'm literally seeing if you could squeeze my finger a certain way. If you squeeze my finger and there's some suction and you can pull my finger up, that is a five out of five. If most people, when I see them are usually like a one or a two, because when I do the exam, I'm like squeeze. They're like, I'm squeezing. I like nothing is happening around my finger. So that's when I know I'm like, there's a disconnect between like what your brain thinks is your pelvic floor. Maybe you don't even feel your pelvic floor so much, or maybe nobody's told you about your pelvic floor, you know? So it's really difficult to tell people, you know, 
like, hey, your pelvic floor is like, it's there, but it's not doing its job. Because then what I'll do is during our treatment, I'll have them take a glove, put a glove on. I'm like, okay, go ahead, insert a finger. See if you can squeeze around your finger. And most, nine times out of 10, they're like, I can't do it. I'm like, yeah, that's what we're going to work on. That's why, that's why everything is kind of coming out. So, so there's people listening are like, should I put my finger down there right now? You can, you totally can. If you can squeeze around your finger, your urethra vaginalis is in probably great shape. (laughs) But, um, I will say also pre-pregnancy, think about it this way. You're going to have to Hopefully, if unless you're getting a C-section, you're probably gonna have to push this baby. So squeezing Kegels, yes, that's important. Core is important. Strength is important for your hips. But also consider when you push, you have to be able to relax your pelvic floor, which I know it's gonna be hard to relax when you feel all kinds of pain, but you also have to be able to push down. So diaphragmatic breathing is super helpful because it helps for you to coordinate your floor, pelvic floor up and then also be able to pull it down. And then when you think about, you know, if you are, you know, I never want to use the word unfortunate, but if you get stuck with a really long delivery, you're going to have to push for a while. So you have to consider my legs have to be stretched out. I have to be in this certain position for a while, you know, so making sure you have flexibility in that area is just as important. Cool. Super helpful info. Mm -hmm. Um, I always wonder that I've never gotten a PT exam ever. So I'm always like one of these days, one of my PT friends. Yeah, just for gonna fun. tell me everything wrong with me. <laughs> oh, no. No, let me tell you. Okay, I'm a PT. If somebody, any, we have to practice on each other. That's the other thing I tell people. If I'm a pelvic floor therapist, think about the people that we've had to work on. We work on each other in class. And you yeah. have to talk about vaginas all over the place. And, see, and then you have to switch partners. So I have seen everything. I have felt a lot of pelvic floors. So when people talk about, you know, like, oh my God, I'm so crumb, I'm so weak in my core. I'm like, me too. <laughs> Join the club. You know, we're all there. It's just about how you're going to work towards it. Exactly. And there's so many like layers to your core muscle, which is yeah. why you can say it's a weak core, but it's always a different muscle. And the same thing on my end with hands, it's like you have six layers of muscles in your forearms. I will yes. find something wrong. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. Yep. Trigger points all over the place. <laughs> you will find the weakness. But yes. then we can, once you know what it is, you know, you can fix it. Right. That's the and cool that's part the about our jobs. Yeah. And it's never supposed to be perfect. You are a fluid person. Things are going to move. They're supposed to move. They're supposed to work. So there's always going to be something. It's just about making sure that you don't get miserable as this goes on. <laughs> exactly. And what I always tell, because I work with kids, I tell their parents, is like, your body will always find the path of least resistance. Yes. They are compensating all the time. It's yeah. my job to see where it's happening. And then we try to fix that so that they're not compensating. Because okay. if you are making inappropriate movements over and over mm-hmm. again, that's where the problems start. Right, right. Um, and that's where we come in. So. Yes. Yep. And that's the other piece. I think um, the one thing, because this kind of goes into my ortho background, But a lot of, I also do trigger point dry needling. So when people come in with trigger points that you just can't like work out with your fingers, I work on them with a needling piece. And with that, we use a needle that doesn't have any medication in it. It takes us really like 30 seconds to at the most a minute to go through and clear out some spots. But the one thing I tell people is I could needle you and all you have to do is go back out on your phone and do that tech neck thing where you're like this and then you're sitting all funny for like, you know, 15 minutes and you're going to come back in that that thing will still be there because it's all about how you change your posture. So the way that relates to pelvic physical therapy is I tell people all the time, like you and I, when we're in here, I make my room super zen. 
I've got diffusers. I've got that like background music going. There's a beautiful waterfall on my massive TV screen. Like you will not be more zen than you are in here. But when you walk out and you check out, your pelvic floor is going to be up to your diaphragm again. So you've got to be able to understand that if you are sitting in that position or you are stressed for more than 15 minutes, your tailbone's going to kill you. Your pelvic floor is going to start to hurt again. You know, you're going to be shallow breathing again. So it's all of that ties back in with the 15 minute rule. Just you have to move out of that position. <laughs> yep, exactly. Like we we hold tension in the strangest places and we don't even know we're doing right. it. Like, yeah. you know, when you're in yoga class and the teacher's like, release the tension between your eyebrows and your tongue off the roof of your mouth. You're like, oh, shit, that's happening. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you were yep. like, oh, my God, I do this all the time. And someone right. finally pointed it out. Yep. That's yep. That's us. That's just people all the time. I know. I know. It's crazy. Butt clenching is my favorite. I'm like, think about. I've had a patient. I've had them keep diaries. I'm like, tally mark every time your butt clenches. They're like, I do it all day. I'm like, yeah, me too. (laughs) You have to think about it. Or you get the opposite. You get dead butt syndrome, which is apparently a thing we learned about this year. Really? Tell me about that. The thing. Well, my husband, I'm HIPAA is gone. There are rules. (laughs) My Michael is the poor subject of so many topics on this podcast. Um, where he apparently couldn't activate his like left butt cheek, so he's a runner, yeah, yeah, and he can't like he couldn't like consciously do it, and so he was getting he was compensating like through his quads and stuff, and so that's why he was getting pain in his knee. But the PT was like, yeah, like informally we just call it dead butt syndrome, but like there's a way to fix it. It's like you should be able to lift up your toes. Yes. Um, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't pick up like his big toe by himself for like crazy. try to. And he was like, I never knew this for 30 years. Like, how, like people can just do that. And I'm like, yes. Oh, yeah. It's crazy because all those dermatomes, myotomes, they connect somewhere, you know? Yeah. It's your gluteus media somewhere down the chain. Something else is not firing. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it's sorted and stuff now. Sorry, Mike. I'm glad he has a functional but... left butt cheek. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We love PTs. I feel like. <laughs> Between, I don't know who hangs out with PTs more, me like at work or him because he's a runner and he just right. does. Yeah, yeah, I can totally understand that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think we've covered just about everything. I think so. Yeah, I hope you guys learned something new today. And we love being educated, so I like having cool people on. Thanks for coming on again. This is your second time on the show. I super appreciate it. I always have a lot of fun with you anyway, but I think it's like, I think it's awesome. Again, going back to like, you touch on a lot of topics. I think that they need a lot more conversation. And if you don't agree with me, or I've said something that like you have more questions about, I always want people to ask. And, you know, even if it's like through me or the shed, like any time, because I feel like that's the crux of the problem in our, in our just generally our communities here. And I'm not talking about the brown community. I'm like, there's a lot of people that are not brown that don't know about pelvic PT. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Reach out, ask us questions. And if there's any other topics you guys want to see covered, would love to learn more about, it doesn't even have to be South Asian related, let yeah. me know. I'm sure I can find someone. Yes, yes. I think that's awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review on iTunes. It makes a world of a difference. And if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, you can email bwwpspodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at dishesbydishes. And we'll see you guys on Tuesday for another episode. Bye!